Amen. All right, well, we're there in uh, Hebrews chapter number one. And of course, tonight we are starting a brand new uh, Wednesday night Bible study in the book of Hebrews. And we're going to be going verse by verse and chapter by chapter uh, through the book of Hebrews. And I always say that the best time to be in church, obviously, every, every time the church is, that we have church, you should be in church. Uh, but the, the best time to be in church is right at the beginning of a brand new Bible study or at the beginning of a brand new sermon series, because you can then just be with us every week. And I hope that you brought maybe a, a, a new notebook uh, to be able to take some notes out of the book of Hebrews. If not, of course, on the back of your course of the week, there's a place for you to take down some notes. And uh, tonight, we are really not going to cover a lot of material in the book of Hebrews as far as going verse by verse. Tonight's sermon will be more of an introductory uh, sermon to the book of Hebrews, and we're going to kind of go through the entire book, and I'm going to show you a lot of things out of the book of Hebrews. Um, but I'd like to begin there, of course, in verse number 1. Notice what the Bible says, Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the Father, unto the fathers by the prophets. And uh, just, just by way of introduction, let me just point out to you the beauty of the King James Bible here. And just uh, the, the, the King James Bible is not just an accurate translation of the Word of God. Of course, we believe it's inspired and, and preserved and inerrant. Uh, but it's also a beautiful translation of the Word of God. And, uh, and, and you notice here that the translators, I just want you to notice, the, the word sundry means various or diverse. The word diverse means different kinds or uh, in various uh, forms. And what the verse is saying is that God who at different times and in different manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but they didn't simply say that. They, they said that, they translated that, but they also said it in a very beautiful way, using these different words, God who at sundry times, the word sundry meaning various times, and in diverse, meaning different kinds uh, of, of forms, manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. So this is just, this is one of the just the many verses throughout the King James Bible that is a beautiful passage, and I think it's worth noting. Uh, I'd like to begin tonight, like I said, this sermon will be uh, more of an introductory type sermon, and I'd like to give you uh, three thoughts regarding uh, the book of Hebrews and helping you understand the book of Hebrews. And if you're taking notes, then maybe you can jot these three different points down or different thoughts. I'd like to begin tonight with this idea of the author of the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews. And I want you to notice again there the first word in verse number one, God, God. And I want you to notice something that's interesting about the book of Hebrews is that no human author is given. There is no human author who takes credit uh, for the writing of the book of Hebrews. And I'd like you to notice and, and keep your place here in Hebrews 1. Obviously, that'll be our text uh, for tonight. But go backwards, if you would, uh, just to give you some examples. So the book of Philemon, the book of Philemon uh, is just one chapter there. And uh, right before the book of Hebrews, look at verse 1. In the ancient world, when people would write letters in these, this, this ancient time, what they would often do is they would begin the letter with the name of the author. The person who was writing uh, would begin the letter. This should look familiar to you if you've read the New Testament. Philemon 1.1 says, Paul 
a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. Go to Titus chapter 1. Look at verse 1. Just to give you a couple examples, just flip backwards past the book of Philemon into Titus, Titus 1.1. Notice what it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledging of the truth, which is after godliness. And we could go on and on. I'm not going to take the time to do it. Uh, but those are just a couple examples. And you should be familiar with the fact that Paul's letters often begin this way. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And this was a common way in which uh, letters were written in the ancient world. Let me give you some examples that are not Paul. If you go past the book of Hebrews into the book of James, James chapter 1 and verse number 1, James 1.1, 1, 1, you got the book of Hebrews just right after Hebrews, you have James. Notice how the letter begins, James 1.1, 1, 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. Uh, let me give you another example. Go to 1 Peter chapter 1, just right after the book of James, you've got the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 1, notice what it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Abithnia. So I want you to notice, and I'm just getting, like I said, we could spend all night doing this, but I, I want you to notice that there is a pattern throughout the Bible, and these letters from the ancient world would often begin with the name of the person, the author, the human writer, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul, a servant of God, James, a servant of God, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is how the letters would begin. In the ancient world, they would begin with the name of the person that was writing the letter, and then they would write the letter, and then they would give some sort of salutation at the end to the people that they were writing. They would do it the exact opposite of how we do it in modern times. What we do today is we begin with dear so-and-so, uh, the person who we're writing the letter to, and then we write the letter, and then we end it with sincerely and the name of whoever is writing. I think their way kind of makes more sense because our way, you know, you got you to read the whole letter before you figure out who wrote you the letter. Um, but this is something that's common. So here, this, this book, Hebrews 1, if you go back to Hebrews Hebrews 1 and verse 1, is uh, different in the sense that there is no human author. There's no Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, Paul, a servant of God, no uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. simply says God, God who at sundry times and in diverse manners. So we see that there is no human author uh, given. And this has been a point of contention, uh, maybe contention is the wrong word, uh, but a, a point of debate among Christians regarding who wrote the book of Hebrews, and, and, and who is the author of, here, uh, of the book of Hebrews. And I honestly think, I think it matters not because of who it is or who it's not, uh, but because there is a point that is being made here by God. But before I make that point, let me just go ahead and give you my opinion uh, in regards to who uh, wrote the book of Hebrews. And there's lots of different people that have lots of different opinions, and people like to argue about these things, and, and you can have a different opinion than mine. I, I will tell you right up front, this is just my opinion uh, it's really just an educated guess. I can't prove this to you from the Bible, just like you can't prove to me whoever it is you think wrote the book of uh, Hebrews. But just to give you um, my, my thoughts is that uh, it is my opinion that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. And, and there's, there's several reasons for that, and I'll give some, some of those tonight throughout the sermon. But let me just uh, get, point out a, a few things to you. And, and, and I was reminded of this as I was reading through Hebrews just this week, uh, preparing for this Bible study, um, that one of the reasons I believe, and like I said, your guess is as good as mine, and nobody really has uh, a definitive answer, um, but I've got the mic, so I'm just going to tell you what I think. 
And my, my, the reason that I think the Apostle Paul wrote uh, the book of Hebrews is because the book of, and oftentimes throughout the book, it just sounds like the writings of Paul. And it sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul. Let me just point out a couple examples to you. Go to Hebrews 10, if you would. Hebrews chapter 10. First of all, the book of Hebrews is divided uh, into two sections. The first 10 chapters or so deal with a lot of doctrine and doctrinal uh, uh, arguments being made. And then the last several chapters are just jam-packed with practical application. There's practical stuff in the first 10 chapters as well, but primarily we deal with theology in the first 10 chapters, and then 11, 12, 13, it's just a lot of practical stuff. And that's a very common way that the Apostle Paul would write. If you've ever uh, taken the time to notice, all of the writings of the Apostle Paul are that way. Uh, You've got the first part of the book, usually a lot of deep theological insight, and then the last part of the book, a lot of practical stuff. Notice Hebrews 10.34. There's things throughout this book that as I read it, it just sounds to me like the Apostle Paul. For example, Hebrews 10.34, the writer of Hebrews says this, For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an uh, enduring substance. And I'm not, I'm not going to have you turn to these other passages, so just, just you, you look at the ones in Hebrews, and I'll read to you from other passages. Don't worry about turning to them. But there in Hebrews 10.34, the writer of Hebrews said, For ye have compassion of me in my bonds. And just a mentioning of bonds uh, sounds to me a lot like the Apostle Paul. Ephesians 6.20 is just one example where Paul said, For which I am an ambassador in bonds. Here's another example, Hebrews 13.3. If you're there in Hebrews 10, flip over to Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 3. This sounds even more like the Apostle Paul than Hebrews 10.34. In Hebrews 13.3, he said, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them, and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. So the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 13.3 said, Remember them that are in bonds as bound with them. Well, this sounds a lot like the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4.18, where he says the salutation by the hand of me, Paul, remember my bonds. Grace be with you. Amen. So in Colossians 4.18, Paul said, remember my bonds. And then Hebrews 13.3, the writer of Hebrews said, remember them that are in bonds. Um, In Hebrews 13.4, I want you to notice that the writer of Hebrews brings up the subject of marriage. He says, marriage is honorable in all. And again, to me, that sounds like the Apostle Paul, because when you think about the writers of the New Testament, Paul dealt extensively with the subject of marriage, where it seems like a lot of the other writers barely bring up the subject of marriage. But Paul, if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 through 13, deals with the subject of marriage. Of course, Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 33, deals extensively with the subject of marriage. Colossians 3, 18 through 25, deals with marriage. So Paul, this would be a theme in his letters where he would talk about marriage, and the writer of Hebrews also uh, brings up the subject of marriage. Not only that, but look at verse 5 of Hebrews 13. The writer of Hebrews says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. So the writer of Hebrews is exhorting people to not be covetous and to be content. Again, this sounds like Paul. Philippians 4.11, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. How about this? Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 14. If you flip back to Hebrews 12.14, the writer of Hebrews mentions peace. He says, follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. 
the writer of Hebrews is exhorting the, the, the audience to follow peace with all men. Well, this sounds a lot like Paul in Romans 12, 18, when he says, if it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. So as I read the book of Hebrews, I just, it sounds a lot to me like the Apostle Paul. Obviously, it's possible that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was maybe highly influenced by uh, the Apostle Paul, but it seems like uh, the Apostle Paul, to me, it seems like it might be uh, the writer, the anonymous writer of the book of Hebrews. Let me give you another reason why I think it might be the Apostle Paul. Go back to Hebrews 13 and look at verse number 23. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says this, Know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. So again, the writer of Hebrews mentions Timothy, which is something that only the Apostle Paul does in his writings. Paul wrote the books of 1st and 2nd Timothy, and whoever this guy is, it sounds like Timothy's with him, because he says, know ye that he says he's in bonds, but he says, know ye that our brother Timothy is set at liberty. So the idea is that Timothy was in bonds with me, whoever wrote Hebrews, but now he is set at liberty, with whom, if he comes shortly, I will see you. So there's lots of other reasons why people might think it's other people. And again, I don't have a problem with that, but I think that it's the Apostle Paul. It is my opinion that it is the Apostle Paul. It sounds like the Apostle Paul. He mentions uh, Timothy. He talks about this, a lot of the same uh, similar themes. So those are my two cents, all right? You don't have to listen to any of that if you don't want to, um, but those are my thoughts uh, regarding uh, why it's the Apostle Paul. There's also a deeper reason as to why I believe the book of Hebrews is written by the Apostle Paul. I'm not going to get into that just right now. I'm going to get into it later on in the sermon because it requires a little more explanation. But let me just say this. It would make sense that the Apostle Paul would write a book like the book of Hebrews, and it would make sense that he would write it anonymously. Uh, And I'll get back to that idea later on in the sermon. We'll talk about that here just in a little bit. Let me just say this regarding uh, the authorship of the book of Hebrews. For those of you who like to fight about things and you're, you know, can't wait till the service is over so you can walk up to me and tell me all the reasons why you think I'm wrong. Let me just say this. I will be referring to whoever wrote the author of the book of Hebrews throughout this sermon series, I'll do my best to refer to him as the author of the book of Hebrews and to not refer to him as the Apostle Paul because we honestly don't know. We're not sure who the writer is. Now, if you're wondering why it is that I'm taking so much time uh, to talk about the authorship of the book of uh, Hebrews is because it's actually crucial to the beginning statements of uh, the book. Because if you go back to Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 1, I want you to notice that it's not just that the name of the author is missing. It's not just that it doesn't say Paul or Peter or John or uh, whatever. It's, in it, it's that the name of God is there. So where with every other book, the human author puts his name, here the human author wants to be anonymous, but yet he still puts the name of the author because the whole point of verse number one is that God is the author of the book of Hebrews. Notice what he says. He says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake. The author of the book of Hebrews is making the point that God has spoken. And by the way, not just the book of Hebrews, but notice, in times past, unto the fathers by the prophets. 
So the, the writer of the book of Hebrews is actually making this point that throughout the ages and throughout history, God has spoken to his people by the prophets. He's saying in the Old Testament, God spoke by the prophets and he did it at sundry times. He did it at different times and in diverse manners, but God spoke. So I think it's just kind of interesting that the writer of Hebrews not only wants to write anonymously, so he does not give his name, but he puts the name of God or the, 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 the name of God there at the beginning be, in, in a way saying, look, it, it is God who is the author of this letter, the book of Hebrews, but then he says, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, because it is God who is the author of Every letter in the Bible, every epistle, every book, holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So when it comes to this idea of the author of the book of Hebrews, for those of us that believe in the inspiration of Scripture and preservation of Scripture, the honest truth is this, it doesn't really matter. Because it's God. It is God who at sundry times and in diverse matters spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. Now, let me just make this point real quickly, and this will actually help us not only tonight in Hebrews, but it will help us uh, in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter number 12, on Sunday morning uh, when we are looking at chapter number 12. And I want you to notice that the Bible says that God spake through the prophets, and this is a reference to the Old Testament, that God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, at different times and in different ways, spake in times past unto the fathers, by the prophets. And I want you to remember this or just kind of keep this in your mind and maybe keep it all the way till Sunday morning because we'll talk about it on a Sunday morning uh, as well. And it is this idea that in the Old Testament, there was these two positions of spiritual leadership. There were the priests and then there were the prophets. There was every once in a while where one person held both positions. They were both priest and prophet. But generally speaking, you would have these two positions. Uh, one was a priest and one was a prophet. And I want you to understand that both uh, were uh, those who communicated between men and, and, and God. But the priests, just so you kind of have this idea, the priests were the men who represented man. And the priests would mediate in the Old Testament between man and God. They would communicate on behalf of men or the nation of Israel for God. The prophets were the representatives of God, and they would also communicate between men and God, but the prophets communicated on behalf of God towards men. I hope that makes sense. The priests would communicate on behalf of men to God, and God would communicate through the prophets unto men. And this is what we're reading about. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners, in time past, unto the fathers, uh, uh, in times past, unto the fathers, uh, I'm sorry, I think I read that wrong. Manners, he spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophet. So we see this idea of the author of the book of Hebrews. There's no human author given. I gave you my opinion. I think it's the Apostle Paul. And, uh, but the whole point is that God is the author. If you want to know, just like every other book, if you want to know who wrote it, just look at the first word of the first chapter of the first verse. And in this case, it tells us it's God because God, and, and that could be the first, every book that Paul wrote could, instead of saying Paul, could say God. The book of James could say, instead of saying James, could say God because God is the author of the Bible. So we talk about the author 
of the book of Hebrews. But secondly, tonight, I'd like to talk about the audience of the book of Hebrews. The audience of the book of Hebrews. And I want you to look at verse number one as well. And like I said, we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of passages through Hebrews. But as far as like verse by verse study, we're probably going to only get through two verses tonight. All right. But we're going to look at a lot of things and, and give you a lot of information that I think you'll need. Hebrews 1.1, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past, I want you to notice this little phrase, unto the fathers, unto the fathers. In that little phrase, unto the fathers, we find the audience, the intended audience of the book of Hebrews. And as you might guess, it is the people of a Hebrew heritage. The, he is speaking to people, he's telling them, the people that he's writing to, this author, He's telling them that God spake unto the fathers, his fathers. So whoever is the writer of Hebrews was a Hebrew himself. But he's writing to Hebrew people, which is why the book is called the book of Hebrews. And here's what I want you to understand. The book of Hebrews is written to Christian Hebrew or Jewish believers. It would be uh, Jewish believers in the first century who are the intended, uh, uh, the intended audience of the book of Hebrews. You say, why is that? Here's why. Because the book of Hebrews has two major themes, and I'm going to go through uh, both of them tonight. But let me give you the first one. The first major theme of the book of Hebrews is this. It is to help New Testament believers transition from the Old Testament. And when I'm talking about the Old Testament, I'm not necessarily talking about the 39 books that we call the Old Testament, we're talking about the Old Covenant, helping New Covenant believers, New Testament believers, transition from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament, into the New Covenant, or into the New Testament. The book of Hebrews is the book, unlike any other book in the Bible, that really spells out for us how it is that the Old Testament correlates to the New Testament how the Old Covenant correlates to the New Covenant. And without the book of Hebrews, we would be really lost and confused because we would have this Old Testament book that talks to us about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and the children of Israel, and the nation of Israel, and the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom. And then all of a sudden, we would be in the first century with the Lord Jesus Christ, 12 apostles, and then a bunch of Gentile believers. And we would be confused as to what does this have to do with that? And the writer of the book of Hebrews writes the book of Hebrews to help us understand and transition and correlate the Old Testament to the New Testament. So I believe that the book of Hebrews uh, should be mandatory study for every Christian. Every Christian should know and understand the book of Hebrews because it will help you understand. Look, have you ever looked at the fact or considered the fact that the Old Testament is a major part of your Bible? It's two-thirds of the Bible. And the book of Hebrews helps you and I understand, as New Testament believers, what it is that we are to do with that Old Testament and how it correlates and how it, uh, uh, what it means to us and what the transition was between the Old and the New Testament. I'd like you to go to the book of Romans, if you would, Romans chapter 9. you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Keep your place in Hebrews, of course. Go to Romans chapter 9. Let me just give you a couple of, of just, just information. At the time of the New Testament writing, the, the nation of Israel or the people, the descendants of Abraham and Jacob, were actually not referred to as Hebrews. 
they were referred to as Jews. And I, I just want to kind of help you understand these terms, Hebrew and Jew. The word Hebrew comes from the, it comes from the name Abraham, which Hebrew is a term of anyone who is a descendant of Abraham. The word Jew describes people who live in an area known as Judea or Jewry, which is why they're called Jews. In your Bible, as you read the Old Testament, you'll find that when you're reading about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and all these people, you don't ever read or hear the word Jew or Jews in most of uh, the Old Testament. That's why when people refer to Moses or refer to David um, or, or, uh, or refer to uh, Joshua or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob and they refer to them as, as Jews, it's not really accurate because during that time they were known as Hebrew people. Uh, it was the way that the nation of Israel was referred to before the conquest. And I don't really have time to go into all the details, but let me just help you quickly understand this. If you remember, the children of Israel came out of Egypt with Moses. They entered into the promised land with Joshua. They conquered the land. Then they were ruled for hundreds of years by judges. After they had judges, they asked for a king. They finally got a king by the name of Saul. Then David, then Solomon. Solomon had a son by the name of Rehoboam. If you remember, Rehoboam upset the people pretty much and split the kingdom. And the, the nation, the United Nation of Israel, became two different nations. The northern kingdom of Israel, which had its capital in Samaria, and the southern kingdom of, of Judah, which had its capital in Jerusalem. When the northern kingdom was taken over by the Assyrians, conquered by the Assyrians, and the children, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom were dispersed, and they were intermingled with the Assyrians, they became half Jew, half Gentiles, which is why you have in the New Testament the Samaritans in that land, and you have this beef between the Samaritans and the Jews. After the conquest, those ten tribes pretty much disappeared. And then the only tribe that was left was Judea or Judah. And of course, you had Levites there and the tribe of Benjamin. And those people became known as, as Jews or people from Jewry or from Judah. So it's not until after the uh, conquest of the northern kingdom that then you begin to see this term Jews used. And all throughout the New Testament, they're referred to as Jews. So uh, the book of Hebrews is written, and the, it's called Hebrews because it is a reference to the descendants of Abraham. But just as a disclaimer or just for transparency, at the time of the writing of Hebrews, those people were known as Jews, and they weren't really known as Hebrews, only their language was known as the Hebrew language, which is what it is today. And you say, well, then why is it called the book of Hebrews if that wasn't really a term that was used? Well, if you've read the book of Acts, you know that the Jews are the enemy. In the book of Acts, the Jews are the bad guys. They're still the bad guys, by the way. You know, the synagogue of Satan. They're the ones attacking New Testament Christianity and trying to destroy it. So I think that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, he just didn't want to call it the book of Jews. You know, and I'm thankful for that. I don't think it'd be the same if it was called the book of Jews. So it's called the book of Hebrews 
Um, because Hebrews encompasses all the descendants of Abraham, although at the time of the writing of Hebrews, in the first century, they're pretty much just known as Jews, because the only descendants that are, are still really calling themselves descendants of Abraham are from Judea or Jewry, because after the captivity of the ten tribes, those tribes were dispersed and they're no longer in existence today. The, the, the Jews stayed intact because you remember, unlike Assyria, Babylon, when it conquered uh, the southern kingdom of Judah, they didn't disperse the people and they didn't intermingle them. They just took them captive but kept them united. Um, and, of course, some stayed in Judea, some went captive to Babylon. And then, of course, when you're reading Nehemiah, Esther, you've got those of the captivity coming back. But when you have the captivity coming back, those are Jews. They're from Judea, from the southern kingdom of Israel. So hopefully that helps you understand. But the, the point, I'm bringing all that up to say this. It's called the book of Hebrews because it has an intended audience. Obviously, it's good for all of us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. We've talked about that already. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and all scripture is profitable. So it's not just like this is only for Jewish Christians. It's good for all of us to study the book of Hebrews and understand the book of Hebrews. But I want you to get that the person writing this is specifically writing this to try to help Jewish or Hebrew people that are now saved. Christians, and they need help understanding how to correlate the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and how to transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. Now, all of that also leads me kind of to get back on this idea of authorship real quickly. All of that leads me to say this, that is why, in my mind, it would make sense that the Apostle Paul would not not only be the writer of the book of Hebrews, but it would make sense that Paul would write the book of Hebrews and then write it anonymously. You say, why Why does that make sense? Well, there's a couple of things you need to understand about the Apostle Paul. One is this, that Paul loved the, the, the descendants, the Hebrew people or the Jewish people of his time. Notice Romans chapter 9. Of course, we know this is Paul. Romans 9 and verse 1 he says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Now, the reason he's going to say, he's saying, look, I say the truth in Christ and lie not, is because what he's about to say sounds like, you know, are you serious, Paul? And he's saying, and he's pretty much just giving this disclaimer, I'm not lying. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. What does he say? Verse 2, that I have, he says that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ. What does that mean? He's, he's saying, I wish that I could be damned to hell and accursed from Christ. He said, I wish I could lose my salvation. He said, for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And his brethren, of course, is a reference the word kinsman is a reference to, to like his kin, his family, according to the flesh. And what is he talking about? Look at verse 4, who are Israelites. And Paul literally is saying, if I could lose my salvation, if I could give up my salvation so that my kinsmen, according to the flesh, would be saved, he said, I'd do it. Now, that's why he has to make these statements, you know, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. Because I don't know that any of us would say that about anybody. 
You know, we would say, hey, we can all be saved, <laughs> you know. But, but, but he's making this point. He has such deep love for his nation. Because he grew, obviously, you know, Paul talked about being a Hebrew of the Hebrews and a Pharisee of the Pharisees and all these things. And he loves these people and, and he wants them to be saved. So Paul loves the Jewish people or his, the nation of Israel, the Hebrew people. He wants them to be saved. But here's the other thing you need to understand about Paul. And I think you know this because you guys are a smart group. But let me just remind you of it. Go to Acts 21. Acts 21. If you go backwards from Romans, you've got the book of Acts. Acts 21. Not only does Paul love the Hebrew, Israelite people, or Jewish people of his, uh, uh, as, as they would be called in his day, not only does he love them, but Paul also offended the Jewish people more than anyone else. It's interesting because Paul loves them. You could make the argument that Paul loves them more than anyone else loves them, and yet they hated him more than they hated anyone else. You say, why? Because it was Paul who primarily, we just got done preaching through the book of Galatians, so this should be pretty fresh in your mind. It was Paul who primarily, number one, went and took the gospel to the Gentiles, but it's also Paul who then taught the Gentiles, you don't have to keep the Old Testament covenant. You don't have to do the Sabbath. You don't have to do the washings. You don't have to do all those things. And as a result, the Jews... This is why they're following him in the book of Acts. This is why they're stoning him and imprisoning him. They hate him because he's teaching people to forsake Judaism. But even, even Jewish Christians, keep in mind, this is the first century. It's a brand new religion, and there's a lot of confusion. Look at Acts 21, verse 19. Now, you need to understand the context of Acts 21. Paul is a seasoned missionary, church planner. He's already gone through all his missionary journeys. And now he's coming back to Jerusalem. Acts 21, 19. That's the context. And when he had saluted them, this is Paul and his group, back in Jerusalem, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So he gets back to Jerusalem and he starts telling them, like Brother Stuckey, Pastor Stuckey, coming to us, telling us about the great works and the things happening in the Philippines, he starts telling them about the things that God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. Look at verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. So they're in church. This is Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea. And said unto him, Thou seest, brother. Now notice what they're going to say to him. And this is James, by the way. James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, speaking to Paul. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews. So James is telling Paul, Hey, I'm glad you're here. Glad you're in Jerusalem. Do you see how many thousands of Jews? Notice, and, and, and who are the Jews? These would be Hebrew people, right? Israelite people. He says, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. So they're not only Jewish people, but they, they, they got saved. They believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're new converts to Christianity that got saved out of Judaism. Notice what he says. How many thousands of Jews there are which believe, notice, and they are zealous of the law. 
The word law there is referring to the Old Testament law or the Old Covenant. And see, James, the pastor here in Jerusalem, he has a problem. And the problem is that he has all these thousands of converts, but they're Jews, and though they're saved, they believe, they're still holding on to that Old Testament law. They're still zealous about the law. Look at verse 21. James is kind of giving Paul the heads up. And they, who's the they? All the thousands of Jewish believers who are still zealous about the Old Testament law. And they are informed of thee. Who's the thee? Paul. That thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children, neither to walk after the customs. So look, I want you to understand this. Paul who was a Pharisee, who was of the tribe of Benjamin, who was a Hebrew, an Israelite, all those things, gets saved, goes to the Gentiles, brings them the gospel, and teaches them, you don't have to get circumcised. You don't have to follow the Mosaic law. You don't have to. He teaches all of them in Galatians, in Ephesians, in Philippians. He's telling them those were cardinal ordinances. He's telling them those are things that no longer, they don't apply to you. You are New Testament Christians. But then he goes back to Jerusalem, and there's thousands of Jews there. And I'm not going to take some time to read it, but if you re- keep reading the chapter, they arrest him, and, and he, he's, you know, then he has to go to all these court cases and stuff. He ends up in Rome as a result. So the problem is, Paul ends up getting arrested in Jerusalem, not because of the Jews that were believers, but the other Jews, the ones that were not believers, but even the ones that were believers were still zealous of the law. So it would make sense, you know, it would make sense that, that Paul would think to himself, the same things that I have been teaching to these Gentiles about not being circumcised, not keeping the old covenant, someone needs to explain this to these Jewish believers. So I think, this is just my opinion, that Paul said, I'm going to write a book <laughs> called the book of Hebrews, which is pretty much going to tell these people, these Jewish Christians, that they don't need to be zealous about the Old Testament law. But Paul thought to himself, this is not going to be a New York Times bestseller because they hate me. So maybe I should write this anonymously. So that is my theory to the book of Hebrews and as to why we have the book of Hebrews. Because there's an audience that was needed in the first century Christianity of a bunch of Jewish believers who were zealous of the law. Paul was like the expert on you don't need to keep the Old Testament law. He taught it to all the Gentiles, but it didn't get, it didn't get taught very well to the Jewish believers. So someone had to write a letter to them explaining to them how the Old Testament correlates to the New Testament and how New Testament believers don't have to keep the Old Testament law or be zealous of the Old Testament law. So someone, we don't know who, wrote the book of Hebrews. And I would imagine the fact that it was written anonymously and, and the content of the letter to me just says, this is Paul. This is so Paul. Paul wrote this book and just didn't want to put his name to it because he knew they'd be mad at him. And they wouldn't even read it. But we have the audience of the book of Hebrews. What is it? Christian Jews of the first century. Christian Hebrews of the first century. And the content, the content of the book is the transitioning and the correlation 
between the Old Testament and the New Testament. All right, so we have number one, the author of the book of Hebrews. Number two, the audience of the book of Hebrews. And then let me give you thirdly tonight, the argument of the book of Hebrews. There's really, like I said, two major themes for the book of Hebrews. And we can see them there in Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Like I said, we're only going to get to the first two verses tonight. But I'm going to show you a lot of stuff from Hebrews still uh, in the next 10 minutes. The argument of the book of Hebrews. What are the arguments that are made in this book? First of all, the first argument is this, that Jesus is the end game. That Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament. Notice it again, Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, the author, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. God spake by the prophets. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 2. Half in these last days. By the way, the last days began at the ascension of Christ. The book of Hebrews was written in the first century, 2,000 years ago, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, these are the last days. And we're still in the last days because the last days began at the ascension of Christ. But notice, the writer of Hebrews said, God who has sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. He spake by his Son. He, at sundry times and in diverse manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, but hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. By the way, I don't have time to develop this, but Jesus is the Word. He's the Word of God. And the idea is this, and what the writer of Hebrews is, is going to develop over the next 13 chapters is this, that Jesus, because remember, it's written to Jewish believers, Jewish to Hebrew people that are saved. And he's trying to explain to them how they correlate the Old Testament to the New Testament. And he begins by saying, look, Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament. The God who spake in times past by the prophets in the Old Testament by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. Amen. Someone said it this way, Jesus is the continuation of the conversation. He's the continuation, the, the conversation that began in the Old Testament by the prophets is continued in the New Testament by the Son. Someone else said it this way, Jesus is the final word on the matter. Someone else said it this way, the final word is a person, not a proclamation. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. So the argument made is this, that Jesus is the end game. Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament. The whole point of the temple, the whole point of the Levitical priesthood, the whole point of the sacrifice, the whole point of all those things, it was all pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the end game. So the argument of the book of Hebrews is that Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament. But then there's another argument. This is the one I want to spend a little bit of time on before we finish up tonight. Not only is the argument that Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament, but the major argument of the book of Hebrews, and you may have not noticed this as you read the book of Hebrews, but I'll point it out to you. I'm going to point it out to you right now, and then I'll point it out to you as we travel through the book of Hebrews. And it is this. That Jesus is not only the end game of the Old Testament, but Jesus is better. Amen. Jesus is better than the Old Testament. See, the writer of the book of Hebrews is writing to Jewish believers, to people who are descendants of Abraham, Hebrew people that are saved. And he's explaining to them 
how to correlate the Old Testament to the New Testament, how to transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and he's explained to them that Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament and that Jesus is better than the Old Testament. In fact, there's a theme throughout the book of Hebrews, and the theme is this, Jesus is better. Let me point it out to you real quickly as we finish up tonight. Look at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4. The first thing we see is that Jesus is a better messenger. In Hebrews 1.4, the Bible says this, being made, referring to Jesus, so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. And I'm going to preach a whole sermon on the subject of the angels from Hebrews chapter 1. It's mentioned in chapter 1 and chapter 2. But the first thing that's mentioned, that's really tackled in this book, is that Jesus is better than the, mess, than the angels. He is a better messenger. The word angel simply means messenger. And he is better than the angels. Uh, so uh, being made so much better than the angels. But of course, we are a little lower than the angels, is what Hebrews chapter 2 says. So though Jesus was better than the angels, he took the form of a man and lowered himself to a little lower than the angels. But the first uh, argument we see is that Jesus is a better messenger, being made so much better than the angels. Look at Hebrews 3 and verse 3. Not only do we see that Jesus is a better messenger, but we see that Jesus is is a better moderator. Look at Hebrews 3 and verse 3. For this man, Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Now remember, these Jewish believers, these brand new Christians that are a bunch of Hebrew descendants, they would esteem Moses very highly. They would see Moses as one of the forefathers of their people, of their nation. They would see Moses as the giver of the law. Moses is often used synonymously with the Old Testament law. He was the one that moderated the law and gave the law to the children of Israel. But the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is better than Moses. Hebrews 3.3, for this man, referring to Jesus, was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built up the house hath more honor than the house. So we see that Jesus is a better messenger, so much better than the angels. We see that he's a better moderator, having more glory than Moses. But I want you to notice, thirdly, that Jesus is a better minister. Look at Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 6. Hebrews 7 and verse 6, but he whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham. And this is actually a reference to Melchizedek. And when we get to it, we'll, we'll spend a whole sermon on Melchizedek. But Melchizedek is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He's an Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we're told, but he, Jesus, the Old Testament appearance of Jesus, Melchizedek, whose descent is not counted from them, received tithes of Abraham. Abraham would be the patriarch, the guy, the guy that started this whole thing. And Melchizedek received tithes of Abraham, notice verse 6, and blessed him. Blessed who? Blessed Abraham. Who blessed Abraham? Melchizedek. Melchizedek received tithes of Abraham. Melchizedek is the Old Testament appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. He received tithes of Abraham. And then Melchizedek blessed him. Melchizedek blessed Abraham that had the promises. Look at verse 7. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed of the better. 
What is that telling us? It's telling us that Melchizedek was better than Abraham. Again, this was written to Hebrew believers who would hold Abraham very highly as the patriarch of the nation of Israel. And the writer of Hebrews says, Melchizedek was better than Abraham because the last is blessed and the blessed of the better. Meaning, whoever is better gives the blessing to whoever is lower, not vice versa. So the fact that Melchizedek is blessing Abraham tells you that Melchizedek was better. And of course, Melchizedek speaks to the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as the high priest. Look at Hebrews 8 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 6. But now hath he obtained, referring to Jesus, a more excellent ministry. And again, when we get to it, we'll develop it. But the idea is that the Jews, the nation of Israel, had a ministry, had a priesthood, a Levitical priesthood, but Jesus is a priest of the order of Melchizedek, and he has a more excellent and better ministry than they do. So we see that Jesus is a better messenger, so much better than the angels. We see that Jesus is a better moderator of more glory than Moses. We see that Jesus is a better minister because he blessed Abraham and the less is blessed of the better. He received a more excellent ministry. Number four, go to Hebrews 8. Look at verse 6 again. Jesus, not only is he a better minister, but he's a better mediator. Look at Hebrews 8, 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. We talked about that. By whom, by how much uh, also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. What is the writer of Hebrews saying? He's saying Jesus is the mediator of not just another covenant, a better covenant. A better covenant than the Old Covenant is the New Covenant. A better testament than the Old Testament is the New Testament. Jesus is not only a better messenger being made so much better than the angels, a better moderator being made better than Moses, a better minister being made better than Abraham, but he's a better mediator. He is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. Go back to Hebrews 7.19. Look at what he says. Hebrews 7.19. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing up of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Look at verse 22, same chapter, Hebrews 7, 22. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. See, he's a better mediator with a better testament. He's a better mediator with a better covenant. He's a better mediator with better promises and bringing in a better hope. And then lastly tonight, go back to Hebrew, go, go to Hebrews 9. We see that Jesus is a better messenger, being made so much better than the angels. Better moderator of more excellent honor than Moses. A better minister who blessed Abraham and the last is blessed of the better. A better mediator, a mediator of a better covenant with better promises, with better hope, with a better testament. But I want you to notice lastly tonight that Jesus has better means. Look at Hebrews 9.23. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. He's referring to the fact, and when we get to it, we'll develop it, 
that all of the, the tabernacle and the, the table of showbread and the lamps and all the things that they had in that Old Testament covenant was mirrored in heaven. But the difference is that in heaven, they had better sacrifices than these. Because in the earthly covenant, they sacrificed a lamb, but they'd have to keep sacrificing a lamb over and over and over again. But in the heavenly holy of holies, Jesus entered as the high priest Melchizedek with the blood of the lamb, his own blood, and he sprinkled it upon the mercy seat, and that was a better sacrifice. That was done one time. He did not have to sacrifice like the Old Testament high priest would have to do a sacrifice for his own sins and the sins of his people once a year. Jesus did not have to sacrifice for his own sins because he had no sins. And when he sacrificed for our sins, it was done once for all. It's a better means of forgiveness. Better than the blood of bulls. Better than the blood of goats. Better sacrifices than these. Go to Hebrews 12. Look at verse 24. Hebrews 12, 24. Notice what the Bible says. And to Jesus, notice it, this is the theme. The mediator of the new covenant, a better covenant, established upon better promises, with a better hope. And to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh, look at it, that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And I don't have time to develop it. I'll preach a whole sermon on it, I'm sure, when we get to it. But if you remember, the blood of Abel cried out. The Bible says in Genesis 4.10 that the voice, God, God told uh, Cain, the voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. The Bible seems to indicate that blood speaks to God. And the blood of Abel said something. It, 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 it condemned Cain. The blood of Abel said, murderer, sinner, Cain is a sinner, Cain is guilty, Cain has done this. That was the message of the blood of Abel. But the blood of Jesus, it speaketh better things. Because the blood of Abel and the blood of sinful man says guilty. The blood of Jesus says forgiven. Says made free. Says redemption. Says redeemed. So I want you to understand the book of Hebrews. It is a book purposely not given us the author because I believe the author wanted the Hebrews to read it so he didn't want to put his name to it. But it was needed because there was all these Hebrew Jewish believers that were still zealous about the law. And this book was written to those Hebrew believers to help them transition out of the Old Testament into the New Testament to help them make sense of the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the major themes of this book are that Jesus is the end game of the Old Testament. The purpose of the Old Testament was to point us to Jesus. Amen. And that Jesus is better. Amen. He's a better messenger, a better moderator, a better minister, a better mediator. He's better means. He's better in every way. Amen. Can I just share with you one, one real quick verse, one last verse? Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 1. Because I need to leave you with an application. I can't just give you theology. Uh, Theology is good, but you need an application. Why did these Hebrews believers need to know this? Because they were in love. In fact, they were in a little too much love with Moses and Abraham. They were a little too enamored with the Old Testament law. And the writer of Hebrews has this concern. Hebrews chapter 2, look at verse 1. 
Therefore, we ought to give the most earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. These people were so enamored with the Jewish culture that they were in danger of letting, not their salvation, but their Christianity, their New Testament Christianity slip. So the writer of Hebrews feels the need to tell them, hey, that that stuff you're trying to go back to, Jesus is better. Now to us as New Testament Gentile believers, we might not have that same we're not enamored with kosher food. We, we don't, we're not enamored with those things. But there's some things that you and I can get deceived by and put our sights on. And we, you and I need to remember that the things that might cause us to let them slip, hey, Jesus is better. Amen. He's better than rock music. Right. He's better than alcohol. He's better than fornication. He's better than drugs. He's better anything that might cause you to want to go back and let them slip. Know this. Jesus is better. I hope you'll join us over the next several weeks as we study the book of Hebrews together. I think it'll help you fall in love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you'll learn, and we'll learn together, that Jesus is always better. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this book of Hebrews. I realize we only got through two verses. But I think it was important for us to understand the context of this book. That Jesus is the end game. And Jesus is better. And Lord, I pray you'd help us remember that. Pray you'd help us, Lord, to learn this book together. I pray that everybody is here tonight. Make a commitment to be back every Wednesday night as we study the book of Hebrews. And that we would learn to fall in love once again with the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he truly is better. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother Moses come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you that we have soul winning, of course, at 2 p.m. on Thursday, 2 p.m. on Friday, and 10 a.m.